Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I want to share just a little bit about me for here for a minute. Um, first thing I share, I'll share is I believe that this is the Word of God. It has been given to us to study and explore and to know so that we could know who this great God is who gave it to us. I believe in a God who is greater than my understanding, one who is the creator and the sustainer of all things. I believe in God the Father, whose will is that we have a relationship with Him. I believe in God the Son, who came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, and to uh, flesh out the will of the Father to make it possible that we could have the relationship with Him. I believe in God the Holy Spirit, the one that is evidence of the relationship we can have with the Father who lives inside of us, uh, the ever-present helper and guide and comforter and the best friend that we could ever think of having. And I am truly overwhelmed at times to think that the Lord God Almighty would think enough of me to save me, redeem me, change me, make a new creation of me, and call me His Son. And that's all you need to know about me. Now it's time to learn more about Word and this great God that uh, we're talking about. Let's pray for a minute. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I do thank you for uh, revealing yourself to us. And uh, Lord, I pray you would continue to do that, that we would understand you more and more each day. Uh, Lord, I, it is my desire this morning to be your mouthpiece. Not a prophet of old, foreseeing the future, but a prophet of now, uh, speaking your truth to others. Lord, I pray you would teach us this morning from your word. Keep my thoughts organized. Use the words to bring honor and glory to your name. Amen. All right, so we are going to continue our uh, study through um, the, the book of Mark. We are on to Mark chapter 4 this week. And, and I, honestly, this is a little bit of an overwhelming task here because we're going to try to cover the, and I shouldn't say try, we're going to cover the whole chapter uh, today. Um, there's so many details, so much information in this that what this is going to be is kind of an overview, a summary, maybe the 10,000 foot view um, of this. And I encourage you um, to study it on your own. Um, I hope that the, what, what is shared this morning would uh, uh, make you interested and uh, make you want to dig deeper and, and allow the Lord the opportunity to share more of his truth uh, to you. So um, what, I, what my goal for this morning is, is that when we leave here today, you will know without a shadow of a doubt to the answer to the question that the uh, disciples, uh, it is recorded the disciples uh, asked uh, at the end of this chapter. And that question is, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey his command? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey his command? Um, we are going to talk about storms. Uh, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God a little bit. We're going to talk about parables, uh, what they are, and uh, um, talk a little bit about the teaching that Jesus had. But uh, to start out with, I'm, I'm going to say that uh, I think it is safe to assume in a room of this size that there are at least a few of you going through a storm. Um, some of you are stuck in a job. Uh, that you feel like it's sucking the life right out of you and you see no way out of it. Um, some of you are wondering how in the world your family's got to where they are today. Some of you feel like your marriage is 
sitting on the edge of a cliff and you were pulling with all your might to keep it from falling over the edge um, and being gone. Some of you are facing uh, terrible news about your health that will forever change your life. And some of you are dealing with losing a loved one that was so near and dear to you that you have to sometimes remind yourself to breathe and wonder at times if you even want to anymore. Um, I hope the good news that Jesus shared with us will be an encouragement to you. Um, the beginning of Mark, uh, uh, in chapter 1, verse 15, the words in red, if you got a, a red letter edition Bible, they're always my favorite words, words recorded, spoken by Jesus. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Do hope you will understand more what well, what that means, and those words will be uh, encouraging uh, to you. So um, there is much recorded in uh, um, in Mark specifically about the kingdom of God, and uh, um, today I want to share some of my my thoughts. I hope they're the Lord's thoughts, but uh, I know for sure they're my thoughts right now. But uh, I'm going to share some of the thoughts um, that I that the Lord has revealed to me um, from from this chapter. Um, First thing I'm going to talk about just for a minute is uh, parables. So um, we read, uh, um, we can see that Jesus uses parables uh, to teach. Uh, at this point in, in uh, his ministry, he's got the large crowds following him, and, and Mark and Matthew make it, make it clear that uh, Jesus was at this point teaching the crowds with parables. Um, a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. And when uh, Jesus was asked by the disciples about the parables, Jesus quoted the prophet Isaiah as recorded in verse 12. Um, why do I use parables? So that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Interesting, isn't it? Um, I'm going to explain to you what I believe the purpose is for Jesus speaking in parables. Um, first off, I think it was to separate the crowds. Jesus had a large crowd following him by now. Some of them, some of them were true seekers. They wanted to know God. They wanted to understand the truth. Others were hanging around because they wanted to see some more excitement. Maybe they wanted to see uh, uh, some more water turn into wine. Or maybe they wanted to see some healing. Or maybe they wanted to Jesus to even do something for them. Just hanging around for them. What can you do for me? I believe there was some also that uh, um, were expecting more from Jesus. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But something different from Jesus than he, uh, um, than he came to provide. Um, but so... I believe the, the, the members of the crowd that were following Jesus, looking for what they could get from him, um, when they heard the teachings, many of them said, you know what, this doesn't make any sense at all. I think this guy's a little crazy. Let's go follow somebody else around and see what they can do for us. Um, so it helped split the crowds. But the true believers, the parables, uh, piqued their interest. And uh, uh, they w it would make them come back for more. It would make them want to know, Lord, what does that mean? What is the explanation to it? And uh, um, um, in verse 10 of chapter 4, it reads, When they were alone, those around him with the twelve. I think that's an interesting, uh, uh, interesting word there, those around him with the twelve. And oftentimes we think that Jesus only explains things to his twelve disciples. 
makes it clear that it was more than the twelve. There was others. There were, they were the true seekers in the crowd that were hanging around them. So they asked for an explanation of the parable, and Jesus explained it to them. Um, I want to share this uh, from uh, verse 9. It says, he who has ears, let him hear. And I think Jesus was encouraging them. Does it interest you? Listen up. Ask more. Stick around. I'll teach you. Um, he's, uh, 24 and verse 24 and 25 said, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But to whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Jesus was encouraging us to seek wisdom, or to encouraging the crowd, the disciples, seek wisdom, seek the truth. Seek, uh, and, and I'm going to use this phrase, seek the kingdom of God. We, uh, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, I think there is another reason. I, I, I read it in some of the commentaries, another reason why Jesus spoke in parables. It was a... Uh, um, it was a um, it was God's grace at work because He was protecting the hard-hearted at least from that point um, from hearing the truth and rejecting it and bringing condemnation on themselves. So take that for what it is. But uh, I read that as well. Um, and that would also keep them from uh, protect them from the unpardonable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which Frank spoke about last week. So. Um, what is the kingdom? So there's much to learn about the kingdom. Well, the people in Jesus' time spent much more time uh, thinking about a kingdom. It was, uh, that was their thinking, um, more so than us. And uh, um, Israel had its glory days, and, and they were in the past. But uh, when David and Solomon were on the, Rome, they were on the throne, there were glorious times for, uh, um, uh, for Israel. And um, they, most of the... The people in this time knew at least some of the Old Testament, and God had given some clear promises in the Old Testament. In Isaiah, um, we read a, that a promise where God promised a restored kingdom with a triumphant ruler sitting on the throne of David, enjoying a reign with no end. Uh, the written word of Daniel stated this kingdom would break all others to pieces and stand forever. And Zechariah writes, the Lord himself will sit on the throne so many of the people that walked with Jesus and ministered among them were waiting for a Messiah to throw off the chains of the Roman rule and fulfill what they thought was the physical earthly kingdom promised to them by the prophets of God. Um, so what I mentioned a little bit earlier, there were some that were looking for more than what Jesus came for. They were looking for that, uh, uh, that triumphant warrior who would lead them into battle and uh, uh, free them from the bondage of Rome. That's not why Jesus came. That's not the kingdom that he was talking about. Um, it's interesting that the Bible makes it clear some wanted to force him to be king. Jesus backed off and disappeared in those times. It's also interesting, my, I was, um, the, the thought came up the other day, what a crazy, drastic difference between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, or, or and Palm Sunday and Good Friday. But a handful of days. Jesus rode in the triumphant entry um, as a king. People were uh, expecting that he would be the earthly king and then they would put him on the throne and they realized that's not why Jesus came and their thoughts turned very, very quickly. It was not a physical kingdom that Jesus spoke of. 
Uh, so in the, uh, in the book of Matthew, the words of Jesus tell us to seek first the kingdom of God. Um, if we are to seek it, we must know what we are looking for. I think one practice that uh, can be uh, very helpful in properly understanding Scripture is to revert to the original language that it was written in. And with that being said, I will share a quote with you. Behind the English word kingdom lies the Greek word basilia. Behind the Greek word basilia lies the Aramaic word malkut. Malkut refers primarily not to the geographical area or realm, nor to the people inhabiting that realm, but rather the activity of the king himself, his exercise of sovereign power or will. I know that's a lot. I hope you got it. But the bottom line is where we, got, where we get the word kingdom, if you trace it back, it goes to a word that is malkut. And that does not refer to a physical kingdom or the geographical realm or the people in the kingdom. What it refers to is, um, is the work of the king himself where he's flexing his power and his will. Um, so that is a, a, a bit of what the kingdom of God looks like. So when Jesus declares that the kingdom of God is at hand, what he is saying is that we have entered a time where the will and power and the plan of God will be made evident here on this earth. This work is the ministry of reconciliation. By sending the Son to earth, Jesus, in the form of man, God the King, flexing his muscles, began reconciling not only mankind, but as uh, we read in Colossians 1.20, all things to himself. In other words, he was restoring the relationship between creator and the created that was designed at the foundation of time. Evidence of this ministry is the work of the Holy Spirit of a, in the lives of his church. And I want you to, a statement that stood out to me in my study, the Holy Spirit is God's power within us. So what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? I believe it means to accept the gift of reconciliation through Jesus Christ the Lord and then watch and see what God is doing and do your best to be a part of it. I think C.S. Lewis really uh, grasped the concept of the kingdom of God and I think he uh, made it clear for my little mind in, uh, in his story, The uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you've seen the movie of Narnia, there's a... Uh, a scene where these children are in the in the frozen cursed land where it is always winter and never Christmas and they are running from their enemy uh, across the uh, the snow trying to cross the river that is frozen over and when we get to the edge of the river they realize the snow is melting the ice is melting and breaking up and then when they get to the other side of the uh, uh, the river the grass is uh, showing the sun is shining trees are blooming and the curse of winter has been broken. And the kids say, Aslan is on the move. When Jesus said, uh, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, I picture Jesus saying, God is on the move. That's much more exciting than knowing Aslan's on the move, but it gives you a good picture. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the parables. Um, there's much to be learned from the kingdom of God in the in the parables. Uh, the first one Jesus talks about are the, uh, uh, the parable of the sower and the seed. So uh, Jesus is the sower. The seed is the gospel, which is the great news of the kingdom of God is at hand. It's interesting, as I was thinking, if somebody asked me what the gospel was, I would tell them about how 
Jesus came, well, first off, it's the good news, right? Jesus came to live and die and was rose again for me so that I could have life and be reconciled with the Father. Um, Jesus calls the gospel back then the good news, but he's still around. He hadn't died yet. He hadn't been raised from the dead yet, but it was still the good news. And the good news, which is Jesus was sharing, which is still the same for us, is the kingdom of God is at hand. God is moving in this place. They're the differing soils or hearts that will hear the good news. I'm not gonna, I don't need to add anything to the uh, interpretation that give, Jesus gives in this parable in the, in the Word here. You can go home and read about that some more uh, today. But I want to summarize that, that some people will reject the good news. Uh, some will have an excited emotional response, but that will not last. And some will accept the good news. That seed will grow within them, and they will produce fruit. So what does it mean to, to bear fruit? If we think about a seed bearing fruit, it brings forth new life. Uh, so what does it mean to bear fruit? It means to bring forth new life. I've got just a question for you. Are you one who is bearing fruit for the kingdom? You don't have to answer, but you can think about it. Uh, the next uh, uh, parable we look at in verses 21 to 23 is the lamp. Uh, the parable of the lamp. Jesus says the purpose of the lamp the lamp does not come into a room to be hidden behind a couch or hidden under a basket. The lamp's purpose is to illuminate, to bring to light. So what is the lamp? I think the better question is, who is the lamp? Jesus is saying, I am the lamp. I have been sent to reveal the kingdom of God. Verses 26 through 29, we read about the mystery of the growing seed. The farmer sows, possibly even waters and tends, uh, tends to the seed, um, but, but that seed grows um, because it is uh, God's design that it will grow. It's not dependent on the farmer to make it grow. Uh, so just as that seed grows by God's design, so will the kingdom grow. Just as a, uh, a side note here, I believe one thing this is telling us is that we are not responsible for making the kingdom of God grow. We are not responsible for how others will respond when we throw the seed out. All we're responsible for is sharing the truth. The next parable in verse 30 to 32, Jesus talks about the mustard seed. Um, the mustard seed was not the smallest seed ever. Um, but it's a very small seed. It's a very common. Uh, uh, Jesus is speaking of something that these people can understand. It was common to them. Um, and um, Jesus said, from the tiniest seed uh, to a large tree, that, that the, the kingdom, like the seed, will grow from, a, from the tiniest seed to a tree large enough for the birds of the air to rest in its shade. I got to thinking, it's from the humble beginning of the God-man baby in a manger, uh, the kingdom will grow until the day the written prophecy will be fulfilled and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there's some people that think there's more significance to the birds than other than the fact that the tree is just, Jesus is showing that the tree is big enough for the birds to enjoy the shade. The kingdom is large enough for us to enjoy the shade. Some people think that the birds represent the Gentiles because there's other areas in the Bible where, where the birds represent Gentiles. So uh, what, 
Possibly, if that's the way you look at it, Jesus is saying the kingdom's going to grow and there's even enough room in there for the Gentiles. And to that I say hallelujah and thank you, Lord, because I'm a Gentile and I can enjoy the shade of that tree. Um, I want to move on uh, now to, and I'm, I'm calling this portion um, a lesson from the lake. Pretty good, isn't it? I came up with that on my own, a lesson from the lake. So as we continue on in, in chapter 4, we, we uh, can read about the storm. Um, so, and the disciples uh, end up in the storm. And it's not, not just any storm, but one they feel will lead to their death. And uh, I just found out this is my bookmark, and it was not in my Bible. So if you give me a minute, I need to uh, find my spot here. I'm going to read for you chapter, uh, from Mark chapter 4, verses 36 through 38. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, you do not care that we are perishing? I want to point out one thing here real quick. And the, wave, and the great windstorm arose, the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already uh, filling, and he was asleep on a pillow. Interesting, isn't it? That shows the humanity of Jesus. We are taught in the Bible, and it's hard for us to grasp that Jesus was fully God and fully man. This is a uh, good picture of his humanity. It also showed me, and I might not be interpreting this correctly, but I think I am more Christ-like than I thought before I read this, because when it's time to sleep, I can lay down on the floor and use a log or a brick or a rolled up sock for a pillow and I can sleep through a train wreck. That is a, uh, that is a gift that our mother passed on to my sister Lisa and myself. So I think what this is telling me is that I am very Christ-like because I could probably sleep through that storm as well, right? So, um, no, but I do think it is a good picture of the humanity of, of Jesus. Um, Sorry, I distracted myself with that foolishness. Um, so, nonetheless, they were in the storm. They uh, woke Jesus up exasperated, asking him, don't you care if we die? So, um, do you know why they ended up in that storm? And, and for the record, I'm in a Bible study on Wednesday night, and we get to sit around the room and we learn from each other. The conversation goes back and forth and back and forth, and uh, it is a wonderful time. I would love nothing more than to do that with you all, but logistically, that just would not work out. I'd like to have your feedback, so I ask questions sometimes, but I don't officially expect you to answer. But um, do you know why the disciples were in this storm? I'll answer it for you. It's because they were obedient to Jesus. When he told them to get in the boat and to go to the other side, they did it. I want to uh, read for you or, or uh, let you know some words that Jesus were words of Jesus that were recorded from John 16. Jesus said, "In this world, you will have trouble." Um, that goes against the lie of the enemy that many of us have heard at least a form of in, in our lives. Um, sounds something like this: that every day with Jesus will be better than the day before, or if you are struggling in life, you are probably not within the will of God. That's a lie. That is a lie from the enemy. Uh, God promises that he will be with us always, 
even till the end of the age. He promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. He promises that nothing can separate us from his love. He promised that everything, uh, he never promised that everything would go the way we want it to. God's work, the kingdom of God, is to reconcile all things through himself and through the Holy Spirit create in us the character of Christ, not to make life comfortable for us. So the disciples are in this storm not because they did something wrong, uh, not because they were disobedient, but because Jesus said, get in the boat and go to the other side of the sea, and they did it. I want to let you know too, not in, this, not in Mark here, but we can read through the, the Bible, and Jesus makes it very clear to us that what he is doing is fulfilling the will of the Father. He is there to work for the Father. He made that clear to the disciples, and I want to suggest to you that uh, uh, when, when Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the sea, the ones with him should have known, okay, I guess that's where the Father is leading him. Um, was the storm a surprise to God, or was it part of God's plan to grow their faith? I don't believe it was a surprise. I believe it was an exclamation point on the day of teaching that they had spent with Jesus. I want to clarify that uh, many of the struggles or storms that we face in life are a result of the poor decisions that we make, and they're the overflow of the, the messes that we have made, but not all. God will lead us into, the, into storms in life for our growth, for our understanding, and ultimately for his glory. So I told you a few minutes ago that a good way to understand Scripture is to explore the original language that it was written in. Um, it is also helpful to know the cultural history from the time that it was written. And I want to share a quote with you from a great resource for men of my caliber. From men of my caliber, you got that, right? This is a great resource. It is called The Bible for Dummies. Fantastic. Really helped me understand it. So, um, there's a quote from The Bible for Dummies. In this time, the sea was a great frontier, considered a huge, dangerous mystery, and symbolized chaos, uh, an unpredictable realm from where evil comes from, Frail humans could do nothing to face the chaos. Only one entity could control the sea, and that was Yahweh, God Almighty. I want to read some passages from you from the Old Testament. In Job, uh, it says, Churning up the seas and creating clear skies are but a whisper of his power. Psalms, Yahweh can still the raging sea. Yahweh can part oceans or turn them into deserts. Yahweh still surging seas and mighty waves. Yahweh is mightier than the sea breakers. Waters deeper than mountains flee at his rebuke. He sets the boundaries for the ocean. And then Psalms 107, 23-30 says, Those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on the great waters, they see the work of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises a stormy wind which lifts the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down to the depths. The people's soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men and are at their wit's end. And then they cry out to the Lord in their troubles, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so the waves still. Many of the disciples grew up on this great frontier uh, that none could control but God. And now they were trying to stay afloat in the dark 
in the midst of a great storm, which was common on this lake because of its geographical location, with a boat filling with water. And the situation was completely out of their control. Jesus is sleeping, once again, a great example of his humanity. And exasperated and overwhelmed, the men abruptly awake Jesus with the question, don't you care if we die? Because that's what's going to happen if you don't do something. I added that part, sorry. Verse 39, um, Jesus responds, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Verse 40 continues with Jesus' words, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Those in the boat did not yet realize who this man was, who this man with such authority was. They had already experienced great wonders, as Mark records in the previous chapters. In chapter 1, they see him teach as with authority from God. They see Jesus cast out unclean spirits, and those spirits know his name, begging for mercy, um, and showing his, uh, proving his authority over spirits and demons. He took Simon's Pe- Simon Peter's mother-in-law, uh, who was suffering with a fever, by the hand, raised her up and made her well, showing his authority over sickness. He healed many with sickness and disease and cast out many demons. He healed the man with leprosy, displaying his authority over disease. In chapter 2, he forgave the paralytic of his sins, proving his power on earth to forgive sins and caused him to walk. He confounded the religious leaders on their incorrect beliefs about the Sabbath and declared his authority over the Sabbath, proclaiming that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. In chapter 3, he healed the withered hand. He healed many with afflictions and he cast out many demons and declared his authority over Satan by testifying that he was binding the strong man and taking back what was his. The disciples did not yet understand who it was that stood among them. And now with the word, Jesus calms the raging sea. A task that these men understand could not be accomplished by any but Yahweh himself. The men were scared of the storm and what it might do to them. And now the men stood in awe and wonder and quiet and peace of the night with a new storm raging in their souls. And as Mark recorded, feared exceedingly knowing the answer to their very own question. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey his command? The wonderful, terrifying conclusion for these followers of Jesus was this. Yahweh was in our midst. The God of our forefathers. The great I Am. God himself is in this tiny boat with us. Friends, the kingdom of God is at hand. And a great display of power and will, God flexed his muscles as he came to earth and set in motion the wonderful plan of reconciliation, proving through miraculous signs and wonders that he truly is Lord of all. I want to end with a question today. Why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? Please do not let your only takeaway from this uh, passage be that Jesus will calm your storm. He can, he might, he might not.
But there is so much more for us in this passage. Each storm that we face in life is an opportunity to see that Jesus, the Son of God, the very embodiment of the kingdom of God, is Lord of your storm. And it is an opportunity for your faith to grow. Jesus did not rebuke the disciples for not being able to handle the storm on their own and for waking him up. What he rebuked them for was how they came to him. They came to him in disbelief and doubt. They had followed Jesus and they experienced what he could do. They had seen his compassion. They had seen his authority on display. They knew he was doing the will of the Father. And now after he had told them, we're going to the other side to do what the Father has told us to do, not for a sightseeing tour. They were doubting him, doubting his very word, as evidenced by their own question. Do you even care if we die? I wonder how often you have asked that same question. God, do you even care? Those of you who are in the midst of the storm, let me encourage you to know that God cares for you. God loves you more than you could begin to imagine. Believe his promises. Just a few of them. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will finish the good work I have started in you. Nothing can separate you from my love. Remember what he has done for you already and come to him admit, and admit, Lord, this is too big for me to handle on my own. And then watch the one who has authority over sickness and death and demons and principalities and hell and the very elements that make up creation and has power to forgive and reconcile all things to himself. Prove that he not only has authority over your storm, but that he has authority over all things, and he truly is Lord of all. Pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. It is amazing. I feel myself overwhelmed again right now, reading something that I already read over and over again. Lord, how could you, the creator of all things, the Lord God Almighty, love us enough Sacrifice your son to save us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would grasp hold of that wonderful truth that you are on the move. That your kingdom, the kingdom of God, is at hand. Lord, I pray that we would celebrate that. Lord, I pray that you would continue to reveal your truth to us and those of us that are going through the storms in life. Lord, may we lean hard on you believing that you are who you say you are and trusting you to take care of us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. Amen.